1: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: This is Trent McDuffie, All-Pro Corner with the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is the NFL Report.
3: That's right, this is the NFL Report. I'm Steve Weitz with my guy James Palmer. Whew, he's looking a little bit warmer than he was looking yesterday. But, J.P., we have a loaded show after these conference championships. We have got Steve Smith, Agent 89 here, Stacey Dales, who was in Detroit, Mike Garofolo with the latest news, Jeff Chadia, and a special piece with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. This is a great loaded show. And J.P., I'm in my normal haunts. So I'm in the VO booth here at the NFL Network Studios You're still in Buffalo, bro. I can still see the gray skies behind you. Must have been a great atmosphere this morning, huh?
4: Yeah, it's a great atmosphere, Steve. The gray sky is rather fitting for what's happening here in Buffalo. I'm at my hotel this morning. I'm at a coffee shop that's in the hotel. An older gentleman sitting at a table by himself in his Bills hat looks over at a family of four next to him. Two kids about eight years old in their Buffalo Bills ski hats. He looks at the two kids and goes, wide right again oh the little girl looks back at him at about eight years old and says i hate the chiefs 147 to go placement
5: down bass's kick is up and the kick is no good
2: a little prophecy tyler bass has struggled and he just misses the kick just went wide the whole way it never came back
3: Oh, the horror to have to relive that. So now there are four. Championship Sunday, January 28th. By virtue of that miss, the Kansas City Chiefs advance to travel to Baltimore 3 p.m. on CBS. And then the Detroit Lions, the NFC North champs, they go to top-seeded San Francisco for a 6.30 p.m. Eastern time start on Fox. So, JP, you were there. We see the final four. You have got to let us know. Just everything about this game, just the aftermath, the during-math, and the math that did not break in the Buffalo Bills' favor.
4: It it was a really remarkable scene, Steve. I I loved pregame maybe more than anything. Chris Jones over there barking at the Bills mafia, calling them bums repeatedly over (laughs) and over again. Patrick (laughs) Mahomes kind of waving to the crowd. Really, I was told by multiple people in the Chiefs organization, Patrick Mahomes was embracing this trip here. He really embraced kind of being the villain, and he was a different player. You saw it pregame, and it stood out to guys that are around him every single day. They just said he kind of took himself to another level. And we saw this offense go to a different level than what we've seen this really entire season. had a chance to talk to offensive coordinator Matt Nagy before they were getting off the bus, Steve. And he said, look at what we did offensively. We barely had a third down. They had five third downs in this entire game. They averaged 7.7 yards per play. He said, we knew we were going to start getting this thing to click, and now they feel like they're playing the best offensive football of their season. You saw two touchdowns from Travis Kelsey. They believe his legs are kind of back after getting that rest in Week 18. He was going off seven straight games without a touchdown, and he was back to his old tricks. But the biggest thing about this, Steve, I was told is there's fewer players rotating in and out at the wide receiver spot. That has been a big part of the synergy and the rhythm that this offense has gained, specifically with rookie Rashi Rice. You saw MVS come on. They feel like the group they have right now is starting to click better than they have this entire season. And Leave it to the Chiefs to do it when they're on the road here at Orchard Park.
3: And, JP, you've been alluding to this for weeks about the reduced Rotation at that receiver group and how that will work with the rhythm and the functionality. And we've seen since Week 17 this offense has looked more and more like we're used to seeing. And think about this. They didn't even run 50 offensive plays. You know, the Buffalo Bills really controlled kind of the flow of the game. But like you said, that 7.7 yards per play that they were getting offensively with a mix of the pass and being able to finish with the run. Isaiah Pacheco. Doing yep. some things in the ground game, especially in the red zone. We have been begging for it for most of the season. Run the offense through 10. And they did it yesterday against an injury beaten down. Bill's defense, something they're not going to see against the Ravens in the conference championship next week. But they were able to get it going. And then when you have 15, Patrick Mahomes with poise. He never flinched when Buffalo countered over and over. He just kept coming back. And that is the will of a champion. Real quick, JP, we don't have a ton of time for this part, but the defense in the second half, we saw them really negate the Bills' run game, uh, except for Josh Allen, and just kind of really stymie so much of the Bills when they had opportunities over and over.
4: Yeah, I talked to a defensive line coach Joe Cullen, one of the best in the game, and, and yep. he's been with this group for a long time, Steve, and he kind of said, what we figured out was we were trying to do too much on the road in this environment. We weren't being gap sound. We knew we just kind of had to hold our place, or else Josh Allen was going to continue to find holes up front, which he was brilliant at in running the football up the middle, him and James Cook. But when they were able to kind of settle down, and he told me that's the biggest thing. When you're in this position year after year, Steve, you find ways to kind of be calm in those moments like they were at halftime. And they were able to start making plays behind that defensive line. That was a big aspect of what changed in the second half. Settling into what they do best, not trying to do too much, but they're going to have their hands full with Lamar Jackson. And Chris Jones told me that on the field, we got to find a way because we got another quarterback coming this next Sunday.
3: Yeah, a, di- a different style of quarterback, but again, rushing with in tandem as offense, that was a big thing. Let's real quick get to the Bills, JP, because you know that's kind of the big story. Josh Allen was fantastic but they fall short once again. What is, what is just kind of the feeling of that team? You were in the locker room uh, on Monday. What's just kind of the feeling about this team moving forward?
4: Groundhog Day, Steve. It, it really felt like Groundhog Day. That term was actually used by players. Ooh. Getting a chance to talk to center Mitch Morris, who really said the biggest thing about this is we have so many free agents coming up. We know that Josh Allen's cap number goes from a little over $18 million to $47 million next oh, year. That's going to change the makeup of how this team is built. But the positive coming out of that room today, Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid, James Cook, three unbelievably talented skill players that are extremely young on rookie deals surrounding Josh Allen, and they don't even believe they've scratched the surface on what they can do with Kincaid, lining him up different spots on the field. Had coaches telling me pregame, Steve, It's the best rookie tight end they've ever been around. Dawson Knox said him and Kincaid together, they're not even close to what they can do with them as an offense. If Joe Brady stays, which everybody today was pulling for, running this offense, there's still a lot to smile about. But as of right now, it's the same old thing that's happened here in Buffalo, and they did it here in front of Bills Mafia to this Bills team. Just absolutely gut-wrenching.
3: All right, JP. We, we talked a lot about the Bills and the Chiefs, but coming up next, we're going to be joined by Agent 89, Steve Smith, former wide receiver, to talk about the top seed ooh, who stood on business in beating the Texans.
0: That's up next on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring –
5: Lamar,
3: he it himself, runs to the left, he's to the front, Lamar's in! Touchdown Ravens! We're going to have a championship game in Baltimore because that
2: the barn.
4: Welcome back to the NFL Report, James Palmer, Steve Weitz with you, and Steve, this is a Mount Rushmore guest right here. This is, yes. in season one, our top moments of the NFL Report have happened when we've had Steve Smith Sr. on the show. Steve? Thanks for joining once
5: again. Oh, thanks for having me, man. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Steve Smith, Senior, uh, not Junior. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that. <laughs>
3: for those who weren't here the first time, the graphics identify. I remember, Steve Smith. Senior
5: as Junior. Well, we got it right hey, this time. But listen, I told you it was just there to humble me in 2023, man. So now when they get it right, I'm actually thankful, uh, and 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 um, uh, have thankfulness that they, they got it. So, man, and then my Baltimore Ravens and then the AFC Championship. You know, I got two teams, uh, Carolina Panthers in the NFC South and then uh, Baltimore Ravens, uh, AFC North.
4: Uh, let's right. stick with those Ravens, Steve, because what, what I'm fascinated about and I want to know from your perspective, from knowing that organization and being, you know, the receiver that you were, as a receiver, as an offensive player, can you describe what it's like to play with Lamar Jackson because it's almost like he plays the position differently than we really see anybody else do it. What is it that he does and what is it like to play with him, you think?
5: Well, first of all, I don't know what it's like uh, to be on the same football field with Lamar Jackson, obviously in the Baltimore Ravens uniform. But I I, I would say it can be – it's a gift and a curse. The gift is you have the athleticism – of of a quarterback who can scamper, who can move. He's a mobile quarterback, and so when things break down, uh, he can get the team and the offense out of a jam, and he can move uh, the he can move the offense with his legs to have design runs for him. It also can be frustrating for a wide receiver at times. An example would be if you have play action where that's where you open up to the right, and then you go ahead and circle around and go left because of his athleticism. He can sometimes Lamar and company, all mobile quarterbacks, they can do things that stationary stands cannot guys who are known to go through their progressions and less about their athleticism. Right. And so I, I believe, right. Being a wide receiver where your quarterback is mobile, it's refreshing and it's helpful. And at times when you're wide open or when the defense may pressure the quarterback, where well, all of a sudden they, they break away and then your great route is overshadowed because a guy gets in the face of your mobile quarterback and he takes off running. So mm-hmm. they say, you're happy. He did an 80-yard or 50-yard run, but you're already 50 yards ahead of him wide open because of the pressure. So it's, 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 it's a gift and a curse. Mm. But, Steve, we've seen him this year. He moves more so he scrambles
3: to throw it. Under the Todd system. Yes. he's different than he was before, and that's opened up the field. We're seeing Isaiah Likely get into the end zone, like every game at tight end coming in for Mark Andrews. Speaking of Mark Andrews, who could be back, coming back from the injuries mm-hmm. to add to this. So, so in looking at this game upcoming against the Kansas City Chiefs then and seeing how good this Chiefs defense is, I mean, where does Lamar, you know, that athleticism, but yet – his, his looking more downfield for his receivers. Where does that come in to help Baltimore potentially advance to the Super Bowl?
5: I mean, obviously it comes in because we just saw some type of version of a mobile quarterback with Josh Allen, right? And Josh Allen was cooking and keeping drives alive for the Buffalo Bills. And the Kansas City Chiefs, at times, looked exhausted. They looked fatigued. They were, they were cold. They were tired. And that really gave uh, the Buffalo Bills and their fan base and the Kansas City Chiefs, it gave Buffalo Bills fans and Buffalo Bills hope that this might be the game that they finally overtake Patrick Mahomes. And Kansas City had a little doubt of like, man, if we don't buckle up, that's where those speeches came in. That's where man-to-man conversations. But at the end of the day, when you look at this game, the Kansas City Chiefs at Baltimore, it really becomes a game where you start to say, how do you want people to know you? Or when your name comes up, what do you want people to say about you as a NFL football player? And in January, in late January, early February, this is where the myth, the legend of quarterbacks, of players begins to be and a team where you know them for, you know, January Joe, all these other guys, Tyreek, uh, 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 just all Tyreek Hill, all these different guys who have impacted the playoffs, Cooper Cup, uh, Jerry Rice, Ricky Waters, right? All of, these are all the players. Tom Brady, Julia Edelman, all of these players. You're known for what you did in late January and February, not what you're gonna do. In October, um, some some little day of the week in November. No, nobody's really remembering that because everybody's toni- tuning in. What, 31, 31.8 million people watched that football game. Yeah. They watched it last Man. night, not back in November, not back in September. They're talking about it today.
4: They, they, they were able to try to spy Josh Allen at times. It was supposed to be Willie Gay. Then he goes out with the neck injury. He was kind of one of the few guys on the field they thought could stay with Josh Allen, but they wanted to keep him in the pocket. They did do a better job of that, not letting getting Allen get out wide. But I want to kind of touch on what Steve mentioned, where Mark Andrews potentially coming back for this Ravens offense. This might sound insane. He's Ben Lamar's favorite target. But is there something about a guy coming back in this time where your offense is clicking, does it throw anything off? Like Steve mentioned, Isaiah Likely, what he's doing. Does it throw anything off, even if you're as good as, as Mark Andrews, or it doesn't?
5: I don't think it throws anything off in this game. Because whether Mark Andrews plays or not, he's not going to play the game. If they have 77 snaps... He isn't going to play all 77 snaps. He's going to be on the pitch count. You want to yeah. get him back in there. I don't care how much therapy you do, how much um, cardio you are doing, running in the pool. I, I I know that organization. So they have pool stuff. They got um, uh, anti-gravity, uh, treadmill. They got all that stuff. Okay. But here's what you're going to do. You're looking at this play right now. You're running against your opponent. You're uh just all of your adrenaline going fighting against a guy that's the stuff you can't simulate. You ain't fighting against somebody in the uh in the anti gravity <laughs> treadmill <laughs> no. guys in, the, in the tub where you just just running trying to get that weight bearing and taking off uh some of the heavy weight because of uh the injury, so I don't expect Mark Andrews to play you know ninety percent of the offense. I expect him to play where he's needed, but also to a point where you cannot make him predictable of what you possibly are running because he's in a football game because he hasn't played in over a month. That's a great point. That, that is an excellent
3: point because just him being out there, you know, defensive personnel is going to try to match up a certain way. we got to flip it to the other side of the ball real quick, Steve, because it's this defense. I mean, they did not allow a touchdown against the Houston Texans. They have been smoking teams by an average of 18.2 points since the beginning of December, and that includes a lot of playoff caliber teams. They're wiping squads out. When you look at Patrick Queen, when you look at Roquan Smith, when you look at Kyle Hamilton, Justin Matabike, all these guys, that to me is the swing boat for the Baltimore Ravens because no one has been able to move the ball on them. And if they have, they ended up taking it away at some point on that drive.
5: Well, they're front, they're front four, they're front-seven, that three-four defense that they're running back with the zone. What's really remarkable in that is you know they're gonna get pressure, but they also, even in getting pressure, they're disruptive. And the disruptiveness is throwing off the timing. So it's speeding up the process in which the quarterback has to deliver the football. He's never delivering the football. Not under duress. You can see that. And so they got Millette, who's, he who was drafted yeah. originally by the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers, but then he's playing in coverage, but also blitzing. So it's just problematic that they can get pressure with their front four. And then that means they're dropping back with the rest of the other guys in coverage. And then they're stout in the run game. And, and I was it when I was in London, I had the opportunity to, um, to look at Jadavion Clowney and talk to him. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I noticed with Jadavion Clowney, and I remember seeing, I went into the locker room, and I said, bro, you got thin, man. You, 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 you look smaller. And he looked at me and said, I had to because of my knee. The mm-hmm. adaptation of Jadavion Clowney, understanding for him to impact his game and to stay consistent in being the disruptive defender that he ha- is and has been He's had to adapt and get a little bit smaller in weight so he can go the long distance. You got to remember, this is a guy who played with a number of teams and one of the biggest issues was health. Yep, He's healthy and playing. And so that now you have a veteran who's adapted and all of a sudden he can give some expertise to other players and, hey, this is what I did. And it just all of a sudden... It makes them a dangerous team. We know the Baltimore Ravens for years have been known for a defensive-minded organization. We call it the black and blue division. We call it bully ball. But one of the things that the Baltimore Ravens have not had in a consistent way is a prolific offense passing and running attack, probably since the last time they won a Super Bowl. And now we have the opportunity. The last time they won the Super Bowl has the potential to go against the exact same team that they played the last time they won. It is a possibility, San Francisco 49ers. So I just, it's going to be unique. It's going to be fun. I think both defensive coordinators are going to throw the kitchen sink at these offenses, and these offenses must adapt, but also be calm and collective and be patient.
4: Steve, real quick before we let you go critique John Harbaugh's dance moves. Post game in that <laughs> locker room thoughts
5: on, on coach. Um, knowing Coach Hardball, uh, and now his second time dancing. The first time was was really him, right? It was all him. The second time was like, all right, if I'm be on camera, I gotta. He, he, he tried to maybe learn a few moves, but that Gene Pool kicked right back. It's the in, lasso. Yeah, so was, hey, he was hit on the one and three, <laughs> Steve. He was hit on the one and three, not the two and four. And he, yeah, let me get that. And then that, and then that oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, let me handle. <laughs> Here's the unique thing about Coach Hullball um, that I don't know. I met Coach Hullball my rookie year at the Pro Bowl. Because of our relationship that we cultivated at the Pro Bowl, was one of the reasons why, when I be, had the opportunity to go to a team, was his constant communication and openness every time we saw each other at different events throughout the league. And then when opportunity came to get with each other, it was one of those things, of course, but here's the thing. Why all, what do I bring all this for? Jason Baker was in Philadelphia for a cup of coffee. Who was a punter for the Carolina Panthers who lives here up in Davidson, North Carolina, up up at the Lake, Lake Norman. And John Harbaugh still texts here and there, talks to Jason Baker, mm. just the same way he texts and talks to me. Wow. So this shows the authenticity that Coach, Hol- Coach Harbaugh has, especially with special teams player, but just kind of shows you, right, he can, be, he can be a little tough. He can be annoying. He can really push your buttons. Yeah. But the thing that I respect mm-hmm. and love about Carl- Coach Harbaugh that I can't say it is throughout the league is you always know where you stand with coach Harbaugh. And that is very rare. Great stuff.
4: I love it. Steve. I love it. I love it. I love that Steve couldn't even dance off beat. If he tried, you try, you try to be off rhythm, Steven, you couldn't even accomplish that. You were just too too, too well, good at it. I guess. Well,
5: I'll, I'll say this right, Steve's not a shocker. I'm not really a good dancer because you know, gangsters don't dance. Well, they do Steve. What do they do, Steve? They boogie, baby. Yes, sir! There it is! <laughs> there it is!
3: <laughs> hey, Steve, we hey, gotta go, uh, bro. You know we want to talk allegedly. to you all day. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. JP, get us out of here.
4: Uh, coming up, Stacey Dales was in Detroit, which was an absolute scene. The Lions are in the NFC Championship game. She's going to take us inside Ford Field next on the NFL Report.
3: You're listening to the NFL Report podcast, but you can watch me, Steve Weich, and my co-host, James Palmer, on the NFL Report at 7.15 Eastern Time on Mondays and Thursdays on the NFL app and free streaming platforms on the NFL channel on Roku, Tubi, Peacock, Pluto TV, and other free streaming apps.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want,
1: You're built for this. You're f-
5: built for this, man. And look what
6: you guys did.
7: You went out there and the what? It's another f- high team that we knocked off. It's the next high team that you knock off. Do you know how hard it is to win in this f- league in the playoffs? Do you understand what you're doing right now? What we're capable of? That's two. All right? That's two. We got two to go. With a bye in the middle.
3: Lions coach Dan Campbell, after Detroit, knocked off Tampa Bay to go to the conference championship. Yeah, chill, he said Steve. they've got two to go with a bye in the middle. That means it's Super Bowl or bust. James Palmer, we're now bringing in Stacy Dales, who was at that divisional playoff. And Stacey, first off, I mean, we know it is now magical for the city of Detroit, for these Lions, all of their dubious records and things like that. But can you give us an atmosphere and maybe a player – or a moment who just kind of encompassed what this team is doing right now.
6: Yeah, there's so many. There's such a collection. Uh, my ears are still ringing from that game. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it, one of the loudest experiences in 15 years covering the NFL that I've I've experienced myself. Uh, when I left the facility, my, I, I would describe it as my ears were ringing like I le- left the concert. I mean, that's how big it was. But there's, there's just so many. And I think when you look at this roster, what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have sort of comprised with this team, we saw it manifest against the box, right? I mean, Josh Reynolds, Craig Reynolds, both had really important moments in that game. Yeah. These are auxiliary sort of, or excuse me, supplementary players, right? And then the, the, the Derek Barnes interception at the end, this is a fourth rounder that they took in 2021 out of Purdue. I fell in love with him during the draft process. And I know why, like when you sit and you listen to the character of a guy like Derek Barnes, and now he has his moment three seasons later and is a starter for the Detroit Lions and a defense that has vastly improved. It it, it was just so unique. And then you ask him, I was at his locker room last night, you guys, and I I said, take me through the interception. Take me through the play. And interestingly, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, prior to that, When I asked him about the play, he said he had actually called a game uh, games at the defensive line where they're trying to get different mismatches and such and create screens and all that, you know, chaos and movement. Uh, But Derek didn't even recall that. All he recalled was the film that he studied on Baker Mayfield and that Baker likes to go to those seams and he likes to throw to the seam. And that's exactly where you saw Derek Barnes. So uh, there's just a collection of great character guys on this team and you couldn't be happier for him.
4: And when you have this group of people that are together, Stacy, we know the leader that Dan Campbell is, but you also need a player that steps mm-hmm. up into that spot. And I look at the quarterback, and we often do in this league, and Jared Goff has played in a conference champion, And I know he's talked about a lot of these rookies don't play like rookies in his eyes, but they're still rookies and lead on mm-hmm. lean on a lot of young guys on this team. What type of role do you think he plays this week in Detroit?
6: Such an important role. You guys know that everything shifts. You both understand everything shifts this week, but we have championship Wednesday coming up, which is a very long day. It's almost like a precursor to what comes at a Super Bowl, right? In terms of the availability, it's all scheduled out for each team. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown actually, in my post game interview kind of answered it for me to your point, James, just in terms of what type of leader he's been. He constantly delivers. I have the quotes in front of me, Um, he's just so calm. He's so collected, but Amun-Ra said, we're going to have to count on him basically, as I'm paraphrasing to guide us through this week because he was in that 2018, uh, you know, NFC championship game when he was with the Rams. What's really great for this team, I think, guys, is he's two and two all time at San Francisco, and he has boasted some pretty good numbers there. He's not far uh, where he originated from um, in California, grew up not far from there. Right. So he's probably going to have a big uh, family group coming, but uh, probably it be a little emotional for him too, uh, going back to the Bay. But uh, yeah, I, I think his leadership, James, to your point, a hundred percent they're going to count on this week because he's been there.
3: Speaking of leadership, Stacy, you know, you mentioned you've been here 15 years. You and I got hired at the same time, and you always give us something special with your reports. Well, Sunday on Game Day Preview, you gave us this special intro to your report from Ford Field.
6: Well, the story is it's so bustling in this place at Ford Field, Andrew. I just lost service officially on my phone. I can't do a damn thing on this thing at this point. <laughs> 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 did you ever get it to work? Ah, I did eventually. I so I had to toggle with it. But you guys know when you're at these games at this magnet, and your phone just cranks out on you, and and you're just like you feel helpless, right, James? You can't tweet anything out. You can't get any information out. Ah, uh, if you did have any breaking worst. news, you can't, right? I did get it restored, though. It's usually for me, though, I'm, you know, I've been in the playoffs in Green Bay so much in my history that it's usually because of the cold weather. Your phone dies or a severely hot day early in the season. But, uh, yeah, that place was bustling, and, and that happened, actually. It's
3: a real States, thing. Stace, we appreciate <laughs> you so much. Absolutely fantastic. Can't wait to talk to you next Monday when things are cranking up, getting ready for the yeah. Super Bowl. And now for the Lions' opponent, oh. San Francisco 49ers, how did they get
2: here? Out of the shotgun, deep drop, pressure gets chased out to his right. will throw on the run back middle. It is intercepted. Go down, Dre Greenlaw. Big play, Dre. goes down. Two
7: interceptions for Big Play Dre Greenlaw. All
3: right, Dave. That was the caller. Dre Greenlaw right. sealed sealed the victory over the Packers right there. Now we're bringing in Jeff. Shadia, Now, Jeff, you know how J.P. and I love Brock Purdy, right? He, he is our guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Are you being JP, serious here. he was he was on shaky ground. He was on shaky ground <laughs> in this game. Hey, look, going into this game against the Lions after that performance, I mean, what, it, what does that tell you more about? Is, that, is it more concerning for the 49ers, the fact that he was able to lead them on a the game-winning drive? You're like, okay, he's good. He, he, he's good in the big moment well look,
7: look it was bad weather for one it was raining and I'll, I'll give him credit for that playing through that but also he loses Debo Samuel for a good portion of that game which is a huge loss as well and look it, it's we know that he's had trouble playing with some of these circumstances before but what I loved about what Brock Purdy did in that game was he didn't let did not let that let that bother him when it mattered most he had to yeah. go six for seven in that game-winning drive Let him down there. Christian McCaffrey scores the game when he touched down, but he was sharp in that moment. He was taking what was given to him. He wasn't pressing like he was in that three-game losing streak when he lost Debo and McCaffrey and Trent Williams earlier this year. So I think it showed a lot about his character and his toughness and his readiness to play in these kind of games at this time of year. We saw him operating right there out of the gun a whole bunch in the second half of that game, Jeff, something you
4: don't see a whole lot out of this offense. And that's why I bring up where he's lined up and the offense. What do you think the role of Kyle Shanahan's offense plays in in some of this stuff we're having this conversation about with Brock Purdy or times in the fourth quarter where the streak was finally broken, right? They're now one and thirty when trailing <laughs> by five or more in the fourth quarter. Is there any sort of fear in your mind with the way Kyle Shanahan's offense is built? It's brilliant but if they get behind early in the conference championship?
7: Well, that is a concern. Just because of the way the Detroit Lions play football, they want to they beat you up. They, they want to bully you. And we saw what happened when they played a team that was similar to that in the Baltimore Ravens earlier this year, where the Ravens were very physical with them, mm-hmm. They were able to get a lead, and they ran away with the game. Now, Detroit isn't as, I would say, as explosive as the Ravens in, in some areas, especially quarterback runs. But they have that they have that capability to do those kind of things. So yeah, I think it's super important that the Niners play their style of football, play from ahead, get pretty comfortable. Look, he didn't play last year in the NFC Championship game for longer than what? Uh, 15, 20 minutes before he right. was out of that game. And so yep. we still don't know how he can play <laughs> in that level of, of, of a game. <laughs> it's, that's a huge question about him. So they got to get him comfortable in the same way that the Buffalo Bills had to get Josh
3: Allen comfortable. That divisional round game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I tell you this, you know, JP was talking about Kyle Shanahan's offense. I was getting ready to throw a brick at the wall, saying, "Give the ball to Christian McCaffrey," yeah. and that may calm everything down. But Jeff, real quick, let, let's flip it to the other side of the ball. I, I want to talk about both number one seeds because they both invested in their inside linebackers. You know, we led this we led this off with a highlight of Dre Greenlaw, who sits next to Fred Warner, and then you got Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen for the Ravens. The way these teams are built and the way so many other teams dismiss inside linebackers, what about the importance of those players and how the, th- this whole defense functions for two of the best teams in the NFL? Well,
0: uh, bo-
7: both, bo- both of those duos are crucial to their teams, obviously, and I'm a big believer in what you're talking about here, that finding those kinds of players in the middle of your defense does make a difference. The hard part is finding those kind of players now because it's so, the NFL is so – diversified, and it's hard to get guys who have the size and the athletic ability to play there and be effective. But when you have two guys like that, it makes a a huge difference. There's no question that what Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner bring to that defense is attitude, it's tone setting, it's playmaking, it's all the things that you look at Dallas, for example, when they have to defend the run and they can't get it done. You look at some of the other teams around the league that can't find those big plays when they need them. They always rely on these kind of players to deliver for them, and that's what's what's made them so successful. I know it's about pass rush and cover corners and all this stuff, but those guys in the middle, like I said, they set the tone and they establish the identity that you have to have to win ballgames on defense.
4: And Jeff, it's interesting, too. You, you mentioned that position. I'm fascinated by the game that I watched yesterday, and the Chiefs run essentially two Mike linebackers at times yep. on the field yeah. at the same time in Drew Tranquil. Yep. And Nick Bolton, it's it's a, it's a facet of their defense to stay physical in the middle of the field. And I, and I bring that up because let's talk about Debo Samuel real quick. We saw this offense with the 49ers get disjointed when Debo was off the field. He was part of the game plan in running the football. They wanted him to be physical running the football as part of their game plan in that game and weren't able to do it. You saw other guys step up in his place. Were you either, I guess, encouraged by the number of guys uh. that filled his role in a variety of spots? Or discouraged about them playing without him potentially
7: in the AFC game well, I was discouraged, just knowing that like you can get through a game or a part of a game without him being there, but to go into a game without him being part mm-hmm. of your game plan that's a big big absence for them because it's, you know I talked to a personnel guy earlier this year and he described Debo as their bully, <laughs> you know Ayuka yeah, is the route runner mm-hmm. Kittle is the, is the is the is the top tight end when the top tight ends in the league, McCaffrey is the do everything running back but Depot is like Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, the guy who sets the tone on offense for them. And so because he can light up in so many places, because he can do so many things with the football in his hands, that it's, it, 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 you lose that, and it's, it's enormous. It's like Tua talk about Loa losing uh, Tyreek Hill. You just don't, you don't find guys to replace that easily. They manage to do it for a few quarters, but to do it for an entire game against a team like Detroit, it's going to be tough.
3: Yeah, and Jeff, as you know, with DWO out there, defensive coordinator, someone like Aaron Glenn, be like, okay, we've got to focus on that. Without him out there, they can change their defense and run it yep. much differently. Hey, Jeff, we appreciate you uh, checking us out, hanging out at the NFL Report again Is your typical Monday appearance. Have fun this weekend at the conference championships. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Bill Belichick. He's the greatest to ever do it, right? But is he really wanted to coach another team? Mike Garofolo will tell us See. on the NFL report.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you
1: whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks
4: Welcome back to the NFL Report, James Palmer. Steve Weich with you. Now, look who it is, Steve. It is the Batman to Steve Smith's Robin. It is Mike Garafolo, the star of every Thursday night on NFL Network this season and the NFL Report's insider. Michael, I have to start off with the name everybody is trying to get their hands on and figure out and wrap around. The greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick. What is happening with Bill right now? Particularly Atlanta is the one we keep hearing, but they're interviewing a boatload of other people. If things don't work out in Atlanta right now, could we see a year where we don't have Bill Belichick in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I believe so. Uh, perhaps a guest on the NFL report next year, or maybe the insiders, uh, anything he'd be willing to come on <laughs> hey, here. At hey, NFL hey, a combo we'd ask, be, a combo ask for be. Bill, Mike. Yeah. A lot going on here, James Palmer. A lot going on for uh, the Atlanta Falcons. You're right. I mean, they, they've definitely conducted a thorough search. And at first it was like, oh, they're conducting this thorough search. is sort of an okey-doke. But it really feels like they are. And the fact that they're talking to Jim Harbaugh again for the second time. So, yeah, I, I, I still feel like Bill Belichick in this situation is going to look for something that's right for him. Uh, and if it's not right, not really rush into another job here. I mean, I know he's at a latter part of his of his NFL career and um, not a whole lot of time to spare. Not that he's dying here, but the point is, uh, you know, you would think that if he's going to try to chase that record that he wants to get so badly, uh, he would jump into another job. No, it's going to have to be right, and it's going to have to be the right setup for a guy who had the right setup for him for 20 years. Yeah, Mike, to that point, though, I mean...
3: Other than the Falcons, there's
2: no no other teams really knocking
3: on his door. I had a conversation with somebody uh, with with you know yeah. uh, who's involved with the Falcon search, who said that they are very impressed with some of these other candidates. Like maybe it was Belichick's to lose, and some of these other candidates, some of these young upstarts, have been so impressive, it may no longer be Bill Belichick. So to that point, what about some of these other you know Mike McDonald, some of these other names we're hearing? Yeah. Some of these young upstarts who could be taking the place, like
2: getting an Atlanta job or some of these other squads. Yeah, Mike McDonald, I'm going to give you the uh, scouting report out of Baltimore from, uh, on Mike McDonald, if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, tell, uh, he, is, he smells, he doesn't brush his teeth, uh, and he's a bad character guy. And and that's what they say when they don't want to lose a guy. So that's what they're telling me out of Baltimore. Make sure you tell everybody all these things about Mike McDonald. So Mike McDonald is a guy that they think extremely highly of. Uh, He's a defensive guy. If he was an offensive guy, He'd be over Ben Johnson as far as the guy that we're talking about that's absolutely Three positively points. going to get a job. Uh, but he's a defensive guy, right? So you got that working against you in this league here. But uh, the job that he has done with the Baltimore Ravens over the last couple of years, going from one hardball gym at Michigan to the other hardball, John, and back into the NFL level. Uh, I think this guy's setting himself up to be a head coach for a long time in this league, perhaps, perhaps starting in 2024. Mike,
4: what have you heard when you're asking around the league, but when you look at coaches like Mike McDonald and guys that are still playing and they're still going to be playing, yeah. right? even though they've slowed the process, are they at an equal spot or are they at a disadvantage right now as teams, even though it's slower, are going through all of them?
2: I think it's helping the, the folks that are still in it, for sure. I think it's helping a lot of the guys. Go back to what we talked about with Atlanta. I mean, that was a situation where it reminded me of Andy Reid going from Philly to Kansas City. I remember it was done, like, practically the next day or maybe right. Tuesday after he had coached his last game yeah. uh, with, the, with the Eagles. And then they had to do the sham Rooney Rule interview, and it was like, no, no, we're really going to enter. Andy Reid was at the North Philadelphia Airport, the Northeast Philadelphia Airport, getting the deal done. In this case with Atlanta, that probably or may have been the case as it was years ago, but because the process has been slowed down, that's, at lo- that's allowed for, why we- is what you're hearing? Hey, we're really impressed with all these candidates that we've had a chance. Uh, to have a conversation with. So if I'm still in the playoffs, I'm thankful that the NFL has slowed this thing down and given us a chance to have a full search regardless of what your current situation is with your current team you're coaching with.
3: Mike, we got 45 seconds. The Philadelphia Eagles have scheduled a news conference with Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman. Those aren't tea leaves. That's telling us something about who their head coach is going to be in
2: 2024. Yeah. I I never really thought it was not going to be Nick Sirianni. Uh, so this doesn't surprise me. And we knew that there were going to be widespread changes on the coaching staff. Uh, they've interviewed Ron Rivera. They're going to interview uh, Mike Caldwell, or actually are interviewing uh, Mike Caldwell, the, the former Eagles linebacker who was with the Jaguars as a defensive coordinator. Brian Johnson's interviewing for head coaching jobs, so they don't want to fire him necessarily, but there's going to be an evaluation and potential move there on the offensive side of the ball. They got to get Jalen Hurts right. There's something off about the quarterback. I know he was mm-hmm. injured this year, but there's just something that's not right there, and especially the connection with him and his teammates. Some of the stuff we were hearing about Carson Wentz, we're now hearing about Jalen Hurts. Oh. I don't think it's completely off base either, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Jalen Hurts got to get back uh, with his teammates, with his coaches, and in the right frame of mind heading into 24.
3: All right, Mike G. And once you know, once his coaching circle, you know, carousel stops spinning, some of those coordinators will become more available as they're looking for work. Mike G. Appreciate you and the fam. That was a splendid, splendid (laughs) segment. All right, coming up in the final block of the NFL Report, we go off the field for a visit with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell about a visit him and I took this summer. Next on the NFL Report.
4: Hey, it's James Palmer, and you're listening to the NFL Report podcast along with myself and Steve Weish. But remember, if you want to see our beautiful faces, this is a show at 7.15 Monday and Thursday. That's 7.15 p.m. Eastern, and we are on the NFL app as well as fast streaming platforms. That's Tubi, that's Roku, that's Pluto, that's Peacock, all of those platforms, as well as the NFL.com slash NFL channel. Find us all
0: of those spots.
4: Welcome back to the NFL Report, James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. And on top of Steve just being a great co-host on this show, Steve spends a lot of time doing other things around this league, Steve, on and off the field. And this, to me, is one of the most interesting and coolest things I've seen you do in recent memory.
3: Well, I appreciate it, James, because in August, uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and I joined former player Justin Tuck, Miami Heat assistant coach Karan Butler, and some people from the Vera Institute of Justice and taking a tour of the true unit at the Cheshire Correctional Institution in Connecticut. And this special unique unit is a rehabilitative unit aimed at 18 to 25 year olds who'll be returning to society one day. Right, now I'm joined by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Commissioner, even though it's, you know, we went on this visit in August and we're months removed, the impact of that day to me still feels like yesterday. I just want to kind of get what you felt then and then just kind of the after effect now, like what you're still feeling about that visit.
8: As you know, I was there really at the request of Justin Tuck, who said, I did this. Would you be willing to do it? I promise you it'll be worth your time. And I found it such an incredible moment in the context of you learn so much that you probably only imagine, but you don't have an opportunity to really experience. And most of that was the humanity of the people we met, the the extraordinary individuals that were there that clearly had made a mistake, and they all acknowledged they were there uh, for the wrong reasons, and that's how they were looking at their lives and And I think the time for us to be up there, you know, they kept repeating it to us, right? Thank you for taking the time, thank you for caring about us. It was interesting to me how much believing in somebody makes an
3: impact. But the one thing I really took from the program was the language, and they said it's important. They're not referred to as prisoners or inmates or by a number. They're referred to as mentors and mentees and young men. What did you find, You, you talked about the humanity. What did you find about how much that meant to at least making these people have some sort of dignity while they're behind bars?
8: I think this program,
3: what was so impactful to
8: me is that it was all about teaching these young men, how their life's still ahead of them. What are they gonna do to take advantage of the opportunity when they get out? Uh, How mentors who are going to be in there and have been in there for maybe a lifetime uh, are making a difference in their lives so that they're successful when they walk out of there. And to me, that's what we're looking for is rehabilitation, not penalty, right? We're looking to see these people go on and be successful. These young men be contributors to society And they appreciated the fact that we cared about that.
3: One of the most jarring moments, memorable moments came. We were all in in one wing together, not too long before we wrapped. And they passed the microphone along. And one of them Mm -hmm. looked at Justin Tuck and said, Justin, you were here before and told us the next time you're coming back, you're coming with the commissioner. Here he is, he said, to most of us, that's the first time someone in life upheld a
5: promise. And he came back with Roger Goodell. Come on, man. Give me the round of applause for them. When you saw
3: that, when you heard that, I mean, what was that like?
8: Yeah, I agree, Steve. It it was a jarring moment because, um, one, my hat's off to Justin because he really felt this was an important moment for these young men to return, to come back and to do what he said he was going to do. That was important to Justin. Uh, It was important for me to help support him in that context. But I feel the same way. Um, I think, you know, you don't just go there, visit, and leave. You have to carry what you learned and, and the, the thoughts of these young men every day with you in hopes that you can make a difference for them at some point.
3: Commissioner, of course, you know, everybody wanted to, to speak with you. Have you been in contact with anybody from the program or the facility since we've been there?
8: Yeah, it was really actually uh, surprising to me, Steve. Um, some of them reached out. And, you know, I responded to them, and um, I expect I'm gonna see them again someday, uh, where they're out here in society, and they're, they're back doing something important to their life and productive in life, and we can be supportive in some way.
3: That's so good to hear. And as we know, the NFL is a partner with the Vera Institute of Justice in trying to get some things done with the incarcerated peoples. But as you wrap up, you grabbed the mic and you told the young men in this program, the mentors in this program, the guards, that the NFL is committed to that TRUE program, to Vera, to Cheshire. What can be done there and what maybe can the NFL do to continue to expand programs like this? You know, I think
8: Vera, their programs are inspired change work that we we focus so much on. How do we improve the the criminal justice system? That's one of our pillars. And we believe that we can have an impact. This program, TRUE, um, and the Vera Institute, I think is actually well on its way. And that's a program that can be taken to other institutions. And I I believe that's ultimately going to be a good thing.
3: It was an amazing experience, Commissioner. I'm glad you went. I'm glad we were invited to go. And as we know with all these programs with the NFL, it's not what the NFL and people do. It's the impact that they have on others. And you and Vera and Justin Tuck have had a lot of impact on people. So thank you for that. Thanks for spending time with us.
8: Well, Steve, thank you, but thank you for coming also, because I, I know you made a difference also. I, listen, they just need people believing them, and the fact you were there um, was impactful on them also. So thank you.
3: Well, I appreciate that. Thanks again. Well, look, one thing these young men in this program understand, is there are victims outside because of their behavior, but this program, should they get out, they're hoping makes them better people, and they could be big contributors to, their, to society, JP.
4: Amazing work by all of you guys, just, just absolutely unreal. Now remember, we are coming up with the NFL report on Thursday, but that handsome face right there, not mine, the one next to it, Steve Weiss, will not be there with me on Thursday. He'll be replaced by the one Rhett Lewis, Steve, all
3: right.
4: yes. from NFL Network fame. It's going to be Rhett and I on Thursday, seven We're going to have a fully loaded show. We'll miss you tremendously, but it was great seeing your face today here from Orchard Park, Steve.
3: Miss you as well. See everybody next Monday. It's a podcast. Listen to the podcast.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill. So you can stay in there as long as you want. You're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap, fresh,